welcome to the Irresistible Marketing Pod, the business podcast that gets really witchy with it. I'm your host, Isa Gauchi, your marketing confidence cheerleader and owner of the M. Isa Messaging Digital Marketing Agency for Small Business Baddies. Today we're talking about niches and how you really don't have to narrow yourself down to fit into one because baby, you are the niche. You don't got to narrow it down to have a successful business. And who better to illustrate that than my college best friend and freshman and sophomore roommate, Rebecca Beyer, who is an ethnobotanist slash witch slash author slash forager slash amazing tattoo artist slash primitive skills teacher slash entrepreneur. For those of you who have been told by various mentors to narrow it down but really don't want to, listen to this episode for validation and a whole lot of wisdom. Hello, Rebecca Beyer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me allow you to introduce yourself and all your multi-hyphenate creativeness to you, the people. Hi, Isabel. It's so good to see you and one of my most favoritest humans who I never get to see enough. Um, I'm Rebecca Beyer. I use she, her, and I live in Marshall, North Carolina, where I've lived in the area for the past 13 years. And I'm an ethnobotanist, which means I study the history of how people have used plants over time in the Appalachians. I'm also a folk magic practitioner and teacher. I'm a writer. I'm an author, a tattoo artist, and I also run a small school for primitive skills. <laughs> That's so awesome. So one of the main reasons I was so excited to have you come join us today is lately in my practice, um, I've been getting a lot of people coming in for my marketing confidence cheerleader services that are having a hard time with this one bit of advice that's pretty common in like the online um, business coaching space, which is you have to pick a niche, you have to pick one thing. <laughs> and be that thing and market that and communicate that to people. Um, And that really works for some people's brains and wirings and how they're made up, but it doesn't work for everybody's. Um, And so I think it's so helpful to have positive examples of people who don't follow the advice you're afraid of not following. So could you share a little bit about your journey? Like, cause I think you've had a pretty non-traditional like career path since yeah. I've known you, you've just kind of always done things your way. Like how did you decide to do all these different things that you loved and wanted for your career? That's such a good question. And it's so funny because I was just thinking about that today. So, you know, as one of my best, best humans and people who've known me the longest, you're one of my oldest friends. I come from a very privileged background and my dad works in the epitome of corporate America. And my mom worked for big pharma. And I grew up seeing those as examples. And even from a young age, feeling very uncomfortable with the way my parents made choices. And I didn't have the words or like education to like understand why it made me uncomfortable, but I saw that it created a lot of misery and pain and in, in so many ways outside of my own family and the way that money was discussed and and dealt with. And I think I was a highly like weird and artistic child and very lonely and, um, always into art and witchcraft and being gay and other weird stuff. So I, (laughs) When I was, um, when I got into college and I met you and all of our other weird kooky friends put in this little place in the woods in upstate New York, I think I felt like I had permission to dream differently. And I never imagined I would be like a professional witch or a professional forager or tattoo artist or any of the things I'm super lucky to get to do now. But I think because my whole life, I was told, if you don't do things this way, you will die and be poor and everyone will hate you and you'll be a disgrace. And I was like, great. (laughs) I know that I see there's other ways now that I'm out in the world, but I really had to like constantly ask myself, like, am I making the right choice? And a lot of times it was really upsetting and scary and my own family constantly reinforcing that I was making bad choices. And I just had to just follow often in sometimes like what I perceive to be irrational ways, my bliss, you know, I had to follow my heart 
and make a lot of mistakes, <laughs> be broke for many years and, <laughs> you know, try a lot of different things. And the one thing I think that really held me through that I think allowed me to like live comfortably through the work of my own hands, doing exactly what I want was, um, watching what was going on around me, making small, slight readjustments frequently, never viewing something not working as failure and enjoying the process. Um, and that's kind of like a very long and rambly way of describing a little bit about the background of my journey. I also, one thing I've talked about with my partner a lot, um, who is, um, a person of color is I was raised to believe I could do anything, you know? So I think that's also important to note. So I had some other wells I could draw from, even with my family, uh, yelling at me all the time that I was never going to amount to anything. <laughs> I, um, I still had that. So I want to, I want to acknowledge that too. Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. I'm putting some things like together in my brain about our shared history, um, as we speak. Um, and it's super interesting because your parents are kind of like the epitome of the popular culture's American dream, right? Like, I think they both started like not, um, super wealthy and then like made it to the top of their fields. And so when I met you, when we were 18 years old and freshman college roommates, um, by accident, by some very lucky accident, um, at Bard college, um, I was like, I want to be your dad, <laughs> your mom. And you at that young age, you're still, we were still kids. We couldn't legally drink. You're like, this life is not for me. If it's not too personal, do you mind sharing like when you were looking at this role that from like the outside looking in, a lot of people would be like, that's the American dream. Like, that's what you want. That's how yeah. you want to move up economically. What about that corporate lifestyle and the demands of that culture? Did you know from such an early age was not right for you? That's such a good question. And I'm really excited to talk about that. I think you know, my dad and my mom got divorced soon after I met you when I was 20, they were married for 26 years and both suffer from, um, we all, everyone in my family, we all have mental health diagnoses and myself included, and also, you know, struggle with substance abuse issues. And I think it started when they went from, you know, my dad worked at a shoe store when I was a kid and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And then, um, they switched into just driving up this ladder. My dad got into Wall Street and after being a bank teller, because he met someone, he had an in through a friend. And, you know, he wasn't like, he didn't work really hard in college. He was kind of like a B student. He was just trying to have a fun time. And it changed him as a person. He became, he went from this fun loving kind goofus to this like brutal New York. And like, we're not from New York, but we moved there. And he, he really like was infused with that corporate cutthroat, non-human centered, um, Republican, like antisocial, um, just difficult personal odyssey that I think a lot of people are forced into in a corporate worldview. And they started saying things like, well, if they just worked harder, they would have what they needed. And I'd be like, you guys got help from your grandparents like three years ago. <laughs> what are you talking about? It was like, they forgot, like once they had more means, like financially, they forgot their humanity. And I, I was being called more and more to let go of all possessions. I had times where I'd fantasize about being like a nun and like living in like a rural, like a cloister. Like I wanted the opposite of what they had because they were miserable with each other. They didn't mirror good communication or like love exchange in ways that I was desperate for as a young person. And as they found more ways to disconnect from others on this, like 1% pedestal, I felt more and more distant from them to the point where we actually no longer speak. I don't actually speak with any of my family, except for my brothers who feel the same way. And it's very, it's, it's sad. It's hard. It kind of takes people. I think it takes their souls away. Cause you have to, it's like the the deal with the devil. Like you have to give a part of yourself to see people as commodities to get, I don't know. That's my like spicy take, I guess. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's so interesting because like when we met, when we were both like 17, 18 years old, and I was just like, I want to change my economic situation. So to do that, I have to learn like all these new so ways like people navigate in a different social class. Like I have to understand the institutions. I have to understand the way people talk and dress and like relate to each other and all this stuff that felt like it literally landed on another planet. And you're right, like because all of that was outside of me like part of it was really valuable. And I think it is an aspect of my personality, like observing and learning new things, but it was very like outside in, not inside out driven. And you, like when we met, you're going the opposite way. You're like, what do I want to explore? What are my interests? Which is something like I had to come into connection with myself. Like I didn't realize that was something I needed till like over a decade later. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you had the courage, because I know you had like family pressure and probably societal pressure being like, Rebecca, don't be a middle evil studies major or like Rebecca, don't go study farm science in Vermont. That's not a career. How did you like hold on to that core where you're like, no, my interests are important. My passions are important. My exploring my creativity and my spirituality is important, regardless of the economic statistics and probability that other people are putting on this? You know, some of it might be my own neurodivergence because I am really good at focusing on one thing. I have hyper-focus um, for who knows what reason. Uh, and I, I think one thing I noticed when we got to college was where I had had very few social connections before that in my life. Um, when I was passionate about something, I found I could rally people around me that were passionate about the same thing. And I was good at, you know, I'm an ENFP. If you're into Myers-Briggs and I'm, I'm the champion, I'm good at getting people together. I'm not good at finishing things, but I'm good at getting stuff started. And I think seeing how community came around me and supported me, even though my own family didn't. And now, you know, I so much so that I, my family is my community and I no longer have the family connection. I think that gave me the courage to know, like, I don't need them to set you, like do anything for me to um, give me validation, to be happy. And I think I felt happiness with connection, like honestly, not to be too cheesy, but like some of our memories from that time were my first happy memories with other people. I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Like just some of the sweet laying in the, in the fields with you and reading books to each other out loud. And you really enchanted my, my life. Oh, my, my God. <laughs> I, oh, that's such a beautiful point. I, cause I remember like people just being drawn to you, like moths to a flame. And I think part of that is you were so like, you shared your creativity, you shared what you were interested in. Um, and like, I think maybe you might've had some self-doubt because I think you referred to yourself as nerdy at some times, but you were so like, this thing makes me joyful. Let me share it with other people. And then other people are like, I want to be joyful in that too. <laughs> um, so I just feel like that's followed you throughout your whole life. Like the more you, you um, follow your joy, like out loud, the more community kind of <laughs> like springs up around you. <laughs> you know, a lot of people ask me because for people who don't know me, I started blogging in 2014 and that was my first, just to paint you a picture of where I was at in 2014, I was very sick. I was very um, deep in alcoholism. I was in a toxic marriage that I eventually left. I was also, I had a lot of happiness at that time in learning earth skills. I was really invested in that at that time. But I was like, what if, like, I don't think anyone will care what I have to say, but I started a blog about witchcraft and plants and I called it blood and spice bush. And that was when I created my business without knowing it. And honestly, you know, not to be weird today, I just spoke with my publisher and I'm, I'm working on some more books with them and they found me through my blog online three years ago. And so I was laying the groundwork, even when I felt like I had nothing to offer and I had so, no self-esteem. I was so miserable in so many ways. I still had, I was building something without knowing it. And you might be too, you know, 
if you think about the friendships you're creating, the networks you're creating, all of them can sustain you. And it's something I didn't think about until later, but it was really amazing. That's such a good point. I think like it can often for business owners, it can feel so lonely because it's a typical marketing trajectory to like put a lot of stuff out there and then have like really delayed gratification. Like you have to trust it's coming and still put it, put your stuff out there. But like, it's actually really normal to like have your people find you like months after the fact, um, and to trust that they're going to find you. Um, but it can feel so lonely. Like, am I just shouting into the void? And I think a lot of these people we hear about overnight success um, often are like, well, I had overnight success when I started to monetize it, but I had spent years building this following before I monetized that it, which isn't talked about enough. Cause when you first started your blog, I don't think you were thinking about it as like a career move yet. This was just for you, right? <laughs> No, I worked at a kombucha factory for $11 an hour (laughs) at the time with my husband and I loved my job. It was really joyful and I'm still really good friends with all my people from there, but, um, it was not what I wanted and it was a physical labor job in a factory and it was difficult for my body. And when I, you know, I started my Instagram not long after that, which is really my personal as an elder millennial, my personal best tool in my business is my Instagram. It's how I get almost all the business I need for both my businesses, my tattoo business and my herbal witchcraft teaching business. I would not like my little Instagram. I only have, you know, 22,000 followers compared to bigger accounts. That's not a lot, but it's perfect for me. That's all I need. And you don't need a hundred thousand followers to have a really successful, nourishing business that's manageable and like going to meet your needs. And a lot of people ask me for business advice and I'm always just like, don't be an herbalist, be yourself doing herbalism. You know, don't try to craft. I see so many people. It's like almost you watch them and you're like kind of cringing. You're like, that's not you though. I know you like be your weird kooky self. (laughs) Like, don't make this like pristine little Canva ad, like just be a weirdo, like be yourself. That's what people want. They want to know you, you know, they really do. Yeah. I'd actually love to. So I think of you as like wildly successful at whatever you want to do, but do you want to talk a little bit? I know, like, I think one time I jokingly called you an influencer and you had like a full body cringe. (laughs) do you mind talking about like do you do you have an approach to marketing or are you just like showing up as you or tell me a little bit about your marketing philosophy so once again hashtag privilege my brother is a professional marketer Kurt who you also know and loves you he is a very successful um he does marketing for big alcohol so he, um, a couple years ago, it was six years, seven years ago, he was like, Hey, for, for Christmas, do you want me to give you some pointers as a present? I'll sit with you and give you some pointers on social media. And I was like, that would be great. I would love that. Cause after I got divorced in 2016, I got a job teaching foraging, um, full-time and I wanted to start teaching classes. And I was like, will anybody come to them? And he's like, well, here's how you make a Facebook ad. Here's when you do it. Here's who you should target. Here's how you make an audience. And I got his help. So you could do, anybody could hire a a consultant maybe to like you or someone else to help them. You really do need somebody just to give you a breakdown. And we just had a single meeting and it helped me so much. Now it didn't, of course, overnight do anything immediately, but over time, I also would frequently like check the weather, you know, with marketing, like I would read my own marketing articles and talk to other friends. I also will say I have a lot of friends with small businesses and we would do little like mastermind lunches where we would just share freely information with each other because we all had different businesses. And um, that is invaluable. I really like, we call it mastermind lunch (laughs) and you can do, you could definitely do that. But my marketing at first, I just drove the hell out of ads. I paid for targeted ads in my very niche I would do like foraging, hiking, outdoors, witchcraft, 
like women 18 to 65. Like I would just focus and it worked. And then I would refine and refine and refine my audience. And those ads, people would always tell me, I saw you on a Facebook ad. That's how I found your class. And it really worked for me, that specific thing. Well, thank you for highlighting for the folks that you actually did put effort into marketing. Cause I think like for good reason, a lot of people, especially in like our communities where we're spiritual, maybe not that into capitalism, we feel squeamish about marketing, but um, you still like put in the effort. The other thing I want to highlight about your story is like your Instagram is really effective and you have a good following, but I want to like highlight for the people you weren't just doing Instagram. Um, Like Instagram is a lot of work, but like you were also like face-to-face meeting people. Like you talk at conferences, you go participate in community events, you had your blog, you were interacting people with people. So I think like you had like a full marketing picture where people knew to find you on Instagram, but they might've fallen in love with, fallen in love with you when they went to a talk you gave at like a primitive skills gathering or Virtus Gina. Do you mind like telling people a little bit about how like live events factored into building your various businesses? That is such a great question. And I like, I'm just falling in love with you all over again in this conversation because my first big conference was with, to come visit you in 2014, I went to Virtus Genie and I was the first talk at the first ever Virtus Genie, which I'm going again this year and I'm coming to visit you. So watch out um, for the eighth year. I, could, I can't believe it's been that many years of um, this beautiful conference that is about plant magic, which is my niche expertise and joy in my life. And um, meeting everybody at that conference I think it largely that and the podcast Rune Soup, which I think is canceled now, unfortunately. Oops. But at the time it was really great for my exposure. I went on podcasts and I went to these conferences. I was also on the podcast New World Witchery, which is fantastic. And I highly recommend. Um, And they really like people reached out to me still to this day. Actually, yesterday I got a message eight years later or whatever from somebody being like, I heard you on Rune Soup and it was so good. And I was like, wow, it really blew me up um, as a person perceived to have expertise in my niche. And that for me, I'm kind of like a academic historian, spiritual person, like figure. So I have a strange space in business as a teacher, because I don't really sell a product. I sell myself basically. And um, plant knowledge, you know, that's what I do. And I think those conferences, they really, you, you go to in-person events and I'll say the biggest thing for me locally, where people are coming to actually take my in-person course, um, which is called Hedgecraft. I do, uh, one to two free foraging walks every year. And like 60 people came one year when Corby, my partner and I did one. And many of those people came and took classes with us afterwards even though they came to the free class, like give away stuff and people will be excited. (laughs) It sounds so counterintuitive, but it really means a lot to people. I would love to also highlight that. I think like this, you, you kind of have this as an innate skill. Like we mentioned, like the people springing up around you in community, which is like the dream for a lot of my folks. But I want to emphasize that it wasn't just like, I'm sharing my stuff and everybody comes here. Like you participate and give back. Like you participate in community events around you. Like you hype up people around you. You make connections between other people. Tell me a little bit about like in your world, when you're building these beautiful communities, how are you interacting with people? That's a great question. And it's changed a lot since I started tattooing four years ago. Tattooers have like a weird mystique. So people interact with me slightly differently now than they did before. I think they assume I might be kind of like crabby or like standoffish when they don't know I'm like a golden retriever girlfriend personality. Um, But the way, you know, one of the main things as an herbalist I was concerned with was like accessibility. And so, you know, we've always tried to provide, you know, free or sliding scale classes we have like BIPOC scholarships and stuff. So we meet a lot of people through that, that we wouldn't probably normally meet. And then, um, 
going to events like free events and stuff and teaching at different like fairs and festivals is really fun and a great way to meet people. And now a lot of people come up to me in our town because I have pretty like people recognize me from my tattoos and they'll be like, are you Rebecca Byer, the tattooer? I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> and I usually just interact with them and they're, they're saying, are you Becky? And I'm like, yes, I am. And telling them more about myself. And then they ask me how they can get tattooed by me. Or they meet me and say, I heard you on this podcast. I read your book. You know, I saw this thing and they actually want to engage me around my classes. So I try to um, just show up and be the person that they are kind of looking to me, depending on which way they want to connect with me. And I have a really big um, extrovert well, so I have a lot of energy for that type of thing. But as I, you know, everybody has limits. It's interesting. I've noticed recently, I've started to get to the point where I, I don't, I can't like show up that way for every single time. Somebody wants to interact with me, especially online. And even if you like, especially if you're introverted and you don't have a big well for that stuff, I think navigating how, like thinking ahead of time, how do I want to show up to people? I never thought I'd have to kind of like bring a face to an interaction, but I do think it's important. So you can like protect your energy and yourself, you know? Such a good point. I also wanted to ask you about how you balance everything. So you're an ethnobotanist, you are a sought after tattoo artist, you teach foraging classes, you're an author and everybody wants to talk to you. Um, (laughs) Tell me a little bit, like what boundaries did you have to develop with yourself and other people to be able to make this sustainable for, for you? That's a great question. My mentor, Balin Lavore, who I tattoo with and Marshall, she basically was like, listen, this is what you have to do. And that's what a mentor really should be doing or a coach should do for you. You know, just, I, and I'm a person who's like, please, mommy, tell me what to do. I'm not really like very bossy myself in that type of way. So she was like, don't ever discuss tattoos and DMs only through your email form, create forms, create ways to gather and store information you can easily reference with clients or people that you work with. It's so helpful. I learned that the hard way, like 85 times. Um, Schedule one day a week where you just respond to emails, you know, don't have to be available every day and say that in your little bio, like we answer emails on Tuesdays. Um, And I also recently added a thing to my email that says, you may never receive a response for your inquiry about a tattoo because we get too many to respond to. And even though my partner does my booking and all the email answering, there's just, which is a great problem to have, but you don't want to leave people unsatisfied and you want to have your boundary respected. So I think automating as many things as you can, which are pretty easy. And um, also just being honest with people, like, I'm so happy to see you in real life. If they come up to the grocery store, I'm trying to get my groceries right now, but shoot me an email at bloodandspicewish.com. I'd love to connect another time just it can be an easy, quick thing or give them a business card. You know, always having those on me is important. Just knowing you, I imagine like these boundaries might've been challenging for you at first. What was your journey with them? (laughs) You said you were completely correct. Um, I was terrible. And I honestly, some in my work with witchcraft, unfortunately it does draw folks who might be experiencing some pretty significant mental health challenges, looking for answers. And a lot of people would project that I might be able to like medical grade, help them with certain things that I'm not qualified to help them with. And I did not know how to gently and like come correct in that space um, and provide other support or like different ideas for what they could do for their problem. And I would, I would give people way too much of my energy trying to figure that out, that I am not qualified to give medical advice and like do that kind of thing. So eventually I was like, oh, I, this is hurting me. And this isn't appropriate for this person. Like I'm going to figure out ways to language and be like, here's some, here's a copy paste thing of resources. I think you might want to look into and, um, also ignoring people. Like, I just don't answer people who come in bad faith, like Christians who give me, send me death threats or (laughs) people who like, when I post pictures of me and my same sex partner uh, or my non-binary partner, um, that I was up with until recently, uh, sometimes I would receive like hateful messages. I just don't respond to them. I just delete them and block them and report them. 
And I just don't, I've been choosing like to not, I don't have to defend myself to every person who comes for me in my comments. I can just delete them. They can scream into the void. <laughs> and I really, like really, really encourage you to just delete and block, delete and block, unless you think there's a learning moment there that you feel resource to show up for, especially if you're a white person in your comments, delete and block. Bye-bye. <laughs> I love it. It's so important to like a, like notice when your energy is being drained and then be protected. And it's such a, like an evolution for people. And I think you need boundary, like new boundaries for each new level of success you hit. Um, so that's a, that's a great, those are really fantastic tips. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to touch on in our pre-chat before we started recording is that you mentioned, um, dealing with, chronic illness and balancing your 5,000 jobs and zillions of followers. Um, what advice do you have for people dealing with chronic illness or chronic pain um, to make work work for them <laughs> rather than trying to conform to systems we're taught are normal for professionalism? Yeah, let me let you answer that. So when I was just running blood and spice bush and teaching full-time, it was not sustainable. I made about just to like, if it's comfortable to talk about money, I made about $30,000 a year. And then I had to pay taxes on that. So I walked away with like $16,000 a year, basically. Cause I, I have lots of materials for my herbal like medicine making classes, like bottles and oils and things like that. And, um, plus all those Facebook ads and all that stuff too. And I wasn't resourced enough to get a bookkeeper. So I was doing it myself and it was like a little all over the place. And I probably could have saved a little more money if I had had some more guidance, but, um, I, by becoming a tattooer and, you know, it took me four years of practicing tattooing for it to become financially like helpful, <laughs> not you have to tattoo for free for a while. I like, this is my spicy take. Don't have a single focus ever, like have five jobs, but you don't do them every day. You know what I mean? And what I've really been focusing on now is my books are kind of the blood and spice bush realm. I wrote, I worked really hard for a number of months to write them. And now I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> and I'll just keep getting that passive income. I also sell PDF downloads for $5 on my website of my classes for people who can't attend. I make $5 at least once a day. Sometimes I'll have a bunch of like, if, if I have a new blog post and there's more traffic, I'll make $35 in a day from downloads, little things like that. They add up so much, like I'll pay all your gas, you know? <laughs> so have lots of little passive income things you may work on just here and there, just drop in with them when you're excited about them, put them down, no deadlines, just when you feel like it. Um, it doesn't have to be crazy and polished. Mine have like tons of typos in them and are like, I'm dyslexic. So they're really like, they're unhinged. I should edit them, but they still make $5. So I love them. Uh, those types of things I think are undersung. You don't have to have one big online class that's super shiny and sparkly. You can have 15 little things that people can pick and choose that call to them that they want to connect with. And um, maybe try to learn one skill that's like kind of marketable that does make a little bit more money. Like for me, tattooing is what like mostly sustains me than teaching than the books and in order of like how lucrative they are. And, um, you know, tattooing allowed me to be more generous with my teaching and to be more, to give away more for free with my teaching. And, um, I feel so much more resourced because I have my other needs met. Uh, so if you can get curious about that, like there's so many amazing ways to make like pretty comfortable livings that aren't, um, I don't know. I think about all my friends in like the esthetician world that I share, like as a tattooer, I, I think of us all in the same boat. I'm like, learn to do lashes, learn to do eyebrows. Like people will pay you so much money to do eyelashes and that kind of stuff. You just go in, you slap some eyelashes on those bad bitches and then you leave. It's great. And then they can write books and do art and music and do their other business in the free time. And that's kind of how I've found, I'm finally finding a balance with that. And I'm still learning so much, you know, cause I'm trying to build a house right now, <laughs> which like the unhinged house building method of saving up a little bit of money, buying some drywall, saving up a little bit of money, getting some doors. Like it's the long game, but it's what we can do. 
And, you know, I think having that diversified income where I can make my own schedule makes that possible. So I really just suggest like passive income sources, maybe like, you know, tattooing is awesome. There are days I wake up, I don't want to do it. There's days I'm like, we throw away so much plastic. This is crazy, but it does pay the bills. So I will keep doing it. And I love it. I love it so much. So I really do think like, if there's a little thing like that, like cleaning or just anything that can like juice up your financial life. So you're not just like on a thread. Um, it just allows so much more ease to build your business to the place where it can be your bread and butter and not feel so dire, you know? That's such a good point. Cause like from my own personal chronic pain standpoint, like when I'm scared about money, my pain gets worse and comes more frequently. Um, and what I also really appreciate about what you're saying is I feel like some of the advice you're probably going to get from more normie friends and family is like, go just get a job, go work for someone. Like we all have to work jobs we hate, which is absolutely not what you're saying. You're like, explore the, explore various skills of yours so that when you aren't able to show up for one of them, you have the other ones that you can fall back on and not necessarily like you actually have to go actively do it when you're having a flare up, but you have stuff that's already available that people can opt in. Um, so that you don't necessarily need to be pushing your body further um, at all times. Thanks for translating my immense ramble. That is exactly correct. You're an amazing reflective listener. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, that's the thing. Like I have like in planus, which is a skin condition that degrades my skin. And sometimes I can't like be super mobile. If it's flared up, it's very uncomfortable and it's invisible. Like people can't see it except for on my hands. Um, but it's, it's so nice to know in the winter, I can release a class, live off of the payment plan from the class for a little while, take less tattoos and release a new PDF. And there's always that first jump of excitement. When you do a new thing, you can't always count on that, but it often is. And those are the times where I will plan rest and plan. Like if I notice my autoimmune disease is going to start going up. I'm going to go ahead and release another offering. And I just try to always work on those a little bit. So I have in a few, like in a couple hours of writing, I could release like a new PDF or something. And that is so helpful. So thanks for <laughs> translating my <laughs> messy download there. No, it, w- it was super helpful. It's, it's just the like marketer slash ex reporter in me where I'm like, summarizing in a space that my editor will approve. <laughs> like, it's just an old habit, but what you I said, the way you said it was perfect. Um, oh, you're so good at it. <laughs> so I wanted to also make sure we had a chance to talk about your books, which first of all, congratulations. Um, Rebecca has some beautiful books out and I'm seeing them in all my local bookstores across the country. If you're listening to this, Rebecca lives in North Carolina and I live in Oregon. So it's pretty cool to see my college besties books in my local bookstores across the country. Um, but anyway, congratulations on them. I was wanting to talk about one, I know, weird aspect of it, but I just think this will be so encouraging to my audience. So one of the biggest fears I hear for marketing for my folks, especially if they're in in any sort of marginalized identity, like um, queer, trans, BIPOC, or even witch, like witchy is still like, I'm sure you can speak about that for sure. Like the fear is, okay, you get bigger, you get successful, people see you, and then you have to deal with all this pushback. Like you have to deal with all this haterade and shit from people you'd never be friends with in real life, but want to like invade your space and have an opinion. I think you've had such a genius response um, to the critique of your um, aren't they like Amazon, like your first one was on like an Amazon prime bestseller list and everything. Okay. Rebecca's nodding. You can't see because you're on, we're on a podcast. Um, but bestseller and people have had some interesting critiques that it's a, a good book, great information, but too woke. Um, and then 
tell me a little bit about what that's been like to be like, I love the book, but I don't like being told to be a good person or how to like practice witchcraft in a way that's like culturally responsible and how to be a good person. Um, so I, I hate the good person part, love the information. Tell me what that was like to receive and how you dealt with it. That's a great question. This week I've actually, it was like a little nervous system activating for me because I had a few difficult, but important conversations with people. Um, so those, the thing that you're referencing specifically, I've had two comments out of all the amazing reviews on Amazon. I'm really grateful for people were like, your book is virtue signaling. And it's like a history book. It's not really an herb book, which I'm like, um, thank you. Of course it's a history book, (laughs) uh, but they don't like that. I literally in my book, for those of you who have not read it, it's called wild witchcraft and it's about foraging and gardening for magical uses of plants. I give a history of witchcraft and folk healing in America in which I say indigenous and black people contributed to Western herbalism. And I guess that alone was enough that they thought that was too woke for me to literally just give a true history of herbalism. And I'm like, that to me is so sad and upsetting that that's what upsets people. Well, these white readers, obviously. And, um, I imagine other people could read my books and because I mentioned that I'm queer or that I, you know, I've gone through sobriety journey, they might be triggered by that and be like, she's horrible because she's gay and an alcoholic. (laughs) But, but, um, my number one thing I've been doing with my haters, because I've also had people, you know, I posted one of those comments and I had a really interesting experience recently where somebody that I kind of know in my community parried back with, well, my friend who's black thinks the opposite about your book. And just wrote that with no further information on my Facebook. And I was like, like, I felt like somebody had stabbed me. And I was like, of course, there's going to be things in any work that somebody will find a problem with. And I've never actually had the gift of constructive criticism in my work. People either tell me they love it. It's perfect. Or they hate it. It's too woke. There's like been no in between. And I would love to receive that. (laughs) So um, with good faith from somebody who genuinely wants to foster exchange, learning, and community and isn't um, in-group, out-group thinking. If you're familiar with that kind of like demagoguery, like you are out-group, you are bad. I am in-group, I am good. That's how we're going to communicate. I can't engage someone in that space. So what I really try to do is be like, hey, I'm really comfortable receiving criticism in good faith. Would you like to give me some? I'm here to receive it. But if all you have to say is, I didn't even read the book and it's too woke, I'm not available for communication around that. And this is what you asked about earlier. If you put yourself out there, people with most unhinged shit are going to come at you and block and delete most of them. Some of them totally worth engaging with. And, you know, especially with power dynamics at play, like I will, I will engage with certain people a lot and others, not at all. And that has to be your personal call, but it is one of the most difficult things. And I'm really sensitive. I'm a huge baby. I'm a four-time cancer sign. Like I, I take things very personally and it's really heartbreaking. You know, I messaged that person privately and said, Hey, would you be willing to give me your friend's feedback? Like, I would love to know what they found problematic in the book. Like that would, if they, if you could do that for them, that'd probably be great. Cause this person that gave me that feedback was also white. <laughs> I would love to know, but I've never heard back from them. So I don't know what, (laughs) what to, to think, but you're so right. It's, you just have to like, know you can't please everybody and it's okay to receive criticism. And it's also okay to tell people you're not available for their criticism. Cause what, right? Like, what are they bringing to that? You know, a hundred percent. And also (laughs) um, just as a caveat, like one person does not speak for everybody like that would be funny if I was just like as a second generation Chicana I speak for every person of Latin American descent (laughs) I speak for all of us um but anyway not to go too far off on that tangent but I think like you actually reshared one of those great book too woke stop like I read all of it got a lot of information but (laughs) negative critique because it made me think about where we get these 
plants and folklore from. Um, and you actually shared that to your audience, to your big audience. And you're like, I think I'm actually proud to get this negative review. <laughs> and I, I so was like, yeah, um, that I, I wrote a whole ass article about it's this. So like good. sometimes like negative reviews are good marketing. And I paired you, I made a really weird pairing. I think I like took the OG gossip girl and how the parents were like every parent's worst nightmare. And then they like took these comments and put them on the posters and then everyone wanted to watch it. So um just anyway, to tie about on this, um you might get criticism that actually does not re- reflect badly on your work. Like, I think, I mean, I mean, like I was already going to read Rebecca's book because she's awesome. But like, if, if Rebecca was someone I didn't know, and I saw that critique and them sharing it and being like, I'm actually proud that I included this in my book and be like buying 12 copies. Um, you know, <laughs> Definitely. And you know, that by posting that, I also received that other comment. So it's like, you open yourself up for a lot of, um, of just feedback. And I think it's really important too, to remember, like I have very low self-esteem. It's something I'm always working on and I'm not good at telling people to stop when they're acting abusive or pushy or inappropriate. Like I still struggle at 35, which is just where I'm at in my personal journey to be like, stop, don't talk to me. Like at any time, any person coming at you, I just want to remind people, you can always say, stop, I need a minute or just stop, actually get the hell away from me. <laughs> you know, you don't have to receive, like if you are dysregulated, if you are not able to receive what they're saying, if you know, they're coming in bad faith and not trying to build community or understanding, like if they're insulting you or being using violent language, like just, you do not have to engage with them. They don't, you're not owing anyone your time or energy you know, especially a stranger that you have no connection with. And that's so hard because if you are trying to be a good person, which I really want to do personally, you might sometimes feel like you do owe that. And I just want to say to anyone listening, you don't have, you don't owe that to anyone. You do owe the world to like be your best self, work on yourself, show up for hard things, but it doesn't mean you have to show up for abuse from strangers online. (laughs) 100%. And I'd actually venture to say that like, it's not due to you having low self-esteem. That's like a normal thing to feel like challenged by, like when people are coming at you with criticism or aggression, like I'm sure everyone probably feels a little activated by that. And especially if you're a human socialized as a woman, um, culturally in the United States, we're not really encouraged as women to be impolite or unaccommodating, <laughs> at least of, of if you were around our age or older, which is in our mid thirties. Um, so it's probably a new skill that you were having to learn, Rebecca. And if you're someone that's becoming visible and getting pushed back, it's, if this is a new skill that you're having to learn how to set like really firm boundaries, um, make people mad. I don't want you to feel like this is a personal weakness or failing on your part. Like you were trained that way. (laughs) I feel so seen. I love you. My fellow femme. Yeah. You know, I have a great therapist, which I highly recommend if you have access to therapy, treat yourself. Uh, I've been doing a lot of somatic therapy and we lit, she literally just makes me yell no at her. And it's like very, I cry so hard. It's so hard to do, but it's a very useful. And I, I think you should yell no at your computer screen often too, just for fun, like to practice. <laughs> that is amazing. Yes. And also like that stuff hurts. Like I published an interview I was really proud of recently that was like, I felt pretty innocuous. We're just talking about ways to make um, marketing more queer friendly, more queer trans friendly. And I lost like a whole lot of followers. And like the top part of my brain was like, good. I don't want those people anyway. And then like my like little cancer moon heart was like, oh, I'm sad. So like, it's natural to have feelings about this, but like you are 100% empowered and not that you need our permission, but you have our permission to just be like, this type of energy is not welcome in my space. And that's where you can activate your, you know, your witchiness too, is 
I think when we think about like casting a circle or boundaries, um, like there's a difference between asking someone for what you would like uh, and if they would like to interface with you with a boundary and a boundary that is a like completely cut off. I don't want to communicate with you boundary. And I think that's kind of the dance of business is like, how do we, what does feel comfortable for me? Like how often do I want to talk to my clients or how do I like to be talked to by them? Um, and, and it's, it's kind of cool to get, like, take the time to know yourself enough. It's, it's really a beautiful way to know yourself more deeply. I think journaling and, and reflecting with a friend or therapist is, are some great ways to like, kind of get clear on what that might look like for you and your unique work. 100% definitely co-sign therapy, definitely co-sign journaling, um, for sure. Well, okay. This has been so awesome. Thank you so much for joining with us. Before I let you go, could you tell the people um, where they can follow you and how they can keep up with your fabulous work? Oh, you're so sweet. Um, my website is bloodandspicebush.com. And it sounds weird, but it refers to Appalachian folk medicine. And you can learn more if you take a peek. My Instagram is at blood and spice bush with no punctuation, all lowercase. And my Facebook is the same. And if you Google Rebecca Beyer, B-E-Y-E-R, you'll find me all over the internet and wear little articles. <laughs> and um, my books are available all over the country and now in Poland, France, and Brazil in the respective languages. So I am excited to continue wild witchcraft spread around the world. <laughs> in my effort to turn everyone into witches but um my book mountain magic which is about appalachian folk magic is also out this month and will be released on february 23rd off amazon but you can get it from local bookstores already in real life so you can grab it from them too <laughs> and thank you so much Isa. i love you and it was so great to talk to you I love you too. Thank you so much for coming on. And folks, all the links uh, Rebecca just mentioned will be in the show notes. So you can go right to them and follow her on all the places. All right. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you found it helpful, validating, and inspiring. Please share your feedback with me on today's topic by DMing me on Instagram at Marketing Confidence Cheerleader or on TikTok at Confidence Cheerleader. To learn more about how to keep up with Rebecca and I, you can find all of our links in the show notes. And if you were extra inspired by today's episode of the Irresistible Marketing Pod, please leave me a five-star review so that I know you'd like me to keep the good stuff coming your way. All right, enjoy the rest of your day and don't niche down, just be the freaking niche.